You see that one guy that climbed up the walls? That was Joey McLaughlin. I'm just saying. No, I'm kidding. It really wasn't. But, uh, hey, man, don't you know some awesome people? Right? Don't you know some awesome people? Yours truly excluded. Like, you know some awesome people. Like, I just think about some of the people I know that are awesome that I can look out and see, whether it's Bill Johnson or Peggy Easton from the first service or, man, people who volunteer around here, who build into people's lives, who make, who make people's lives better, who influence others for good. We, we all know some awesome people. Like, I could talk to you about somebody who's awesome that maybe helped you um, at some point in your life, right? Anybody remember the person who gave them their first job? You remember that? Like, I can remember Wade Craig gave me my first job. As much as I didn't want to work, uh, I can remember my first job. And, and he was awesome just for giving me a chance. I can remember this kid that helped me once. I had, I, had my, I had a flat tire and I couldn't get the lug nut off. And I remember this kid who stopped and helped me to change my tire. Like, he's awesome. I just think of, uh, you know, I can remember my guidance counselor when I was in high school who uh, nominated me for some awards and somehow won them. And I'm like, he was he was awesome. And like, don't you know, don't you remember like maybe an awesome teacher or a coach? Or maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was your grandparents. And they were just awesome. And you look at them and you just think of how great they were. And as much as we can identify peop, other people who are awesome, we don't always consider ourselves awesome, do we? Like, like we don't always think I'm awesome. Because if you do, you may be prideful. But, but also... We are our own worst critic, aren't we? Like, nobody criticizes you more than you. Am I right? Like, you're not going to criticize me more than I'm going to criticize me. You know, I know how this gig works. I know what happens when you get in the car, right? I know who you're talking about, right? Joe Baker, I know who you're talking about. I know how it goes. No, you can't say anything I haven't already thought, already talked to myself about. Nobody criticizes you more than you. You know everything you've done. You know everything you wish you would have done and didn't do. You know every, every word that you said that was in anger or frustration. You know every decision that was a bad decision. Like you know every, every step you took. You know every action you took that you can't take back. Like, like you know, and it, and it plays replay in your mind over and over and over again, right? You know it. You know, and we live in this culture of criticism, so we're experts at it. Like, think about how we, how we criticize people. You know, how, how many sports fans in a room? Come on. How many Miami fans in a room? Not today. I got you. I feel, I feel your pain. Um, not really, because I don't care about Miami, but <laughs> losers. But, um, I mean, Mark Rick resigned, retired, I'm just saying. So, so think about it. We have entire sports networks. They're created to talk about sports for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. If you can't find somebody to criticize, you're not on the air. We have sports talk shows where they pick a side and they criticize players. They criticize coaches. They criticize players' wives. They criticize administrators. They criticize referees. We, we criticize people as part of our culture. And think about in politics and in, in culture at large. We have CNN or MSNBC or Fox News, wherever we want to get our news. Your Aunt Jenny who tells you what's going on in the world, right? Like we, we, we listen to them and we get personal with our criticism of each other. And then we live in a culture that's unlike any other culture that's ever been created is we have a review-based culture. Has anybody ever left a review on Yelp? You ever used your Yelp review as a weapon? If you don't give me my money back, I'm going to give you one star. You know? Like we, we use it to criticize. We are experts at, criticize, at criticism, and we criticize, our, criticize ourselves more than anybody. 
And listen, you will never live beyond how you see yourself. You will never live beyond how you see yourself. How you see yourself is the lid on your life, right? It's how you're, you're going to live and move and breathe. It's how you're going to move forward. It's how you're going to take risks. And listen, when you see yourself through the lens of criticism, here's what happens. You begin to think that you have no value. You begin to think that you have no purpose. And guess what? When you wake up, you wake up depressed. You don't even feel like getting out of bed. Like, why would you? You've got nothing to offer the world. You wake up with this low level of anxiety, always looking to be sure you take care of yourself because if you don't, nobody else will. Why? Because you have no value and because you've criticized yourself for so long. You wake up and you feel tired. You come home and you feel like the day's been wasted and you get very, very bored. And boredom always leads to trouble. Listen, when you begin to understand your value and your purpose, it's a game changer. It changes how you see your job because you begin to move into work with a different sense of purpose and energy and effectiveness. It changes your relationships. It changes how you treat, maybe if you're married, it changes how you treat your spouse as you begin to talk to them as somebody of value. Like, Like I was watching some of you married couples as you had to turn to your spouse and say, you are awesome just a minute ago. It was not pretty. It changes how you parent. It changes how you plan for your future when you understand your value. How incredible was it to hear when she got baptized and thought of herself as the word mistake? Anybody here think that about themselves? I'm here to tell you today is that today's the day is going to change your life. Watch what God thinks about you, Psalm 139. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Listen, when you think you have no value, it's more of a statement about your belief in God than it is about you. God has created you fearfully and wonderfully. You have immense value. And so we just want to unpack what that looks like today. Now, I realize when you start talking about humans are awesome, there's this, there's this idea that it could be like, hey, you do you. Whatever you do is good. You can just be whoever you wanted to be. No, you can't be. You need to be who God's created you to be. And the way that you have purpose and value, the way that you fulfill your potential is to impact other people for God's purposes for their life. Like this is where you're going to find the cause greater than yourself that you were looking for. And some of you, you've done that for a while and maybe you've taken a step back and you had to climb that career ladder, had to work that relationship out, had to get those kids graduated. But now's the time God wants to grab your attention and hold you by the face and say, listen, there's something bigger for your life than what you're believing right now. So listen, we're going to be in Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. If you have a Bible, turn to that. If you don't, grab your phone, turn to it. Also, I'll have the verses on the screen. Hey, just to give a little background and context of where we are. How many people have ever heard of Gideon's Bible? Right? Some of you, you got a Gideon's. Anybody ever stole one from a hotel room? Right. Well, you don't love the Lord if you didn't. I mean, what in the world? Now, so Gideon's Bible has nothing to do with the story, but it's where we get the name Gideon from. So Gideon was a, was a, um, a figure, uh, was a man in the Old Testament. And what we're going to see happen to him is Gideon's living in fear and hiding, oppressed, struggling, anxious. God's going to show up in his life. 
He's going to breathe some life into him. And then what's going to happen is Gideon is going to lead his people into freedom. They're being oppressed by some enemies. He's going to take 300 men and he's going to lead them, win the battle, and lead them to live in the freedom that God has for them. This is his purpose. And I'm just going to talk a lot about the first part of his story today. Like how did Gideon get from being afraid to even the point where he could lead and influence anybody else? And this is, how, this is where I'll end up as we uh, go through the lesson today. But Judges chapter 6. Now, uh, I'll, let me just read the first verse because you guys are waiting for me to get started. Okay, 611 says this, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abzerite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So watch this. So let's talk a little bit about the Midianites. Now the Midianites was a neighboring nation to Israel. God's people had moved into freedom God had given them this land, everything they'd ever dreamed of, right? All that they'd ever looked forward to, they finally get it. And once they get there, they do what we tend to do once we've been blessed by God. They forgot God. You ever done that? You've been in a plane that was going down, Lord, if you save me, I'll give you my life. Maybe next time. <laughs> Maybe next time. And sometimes we forget God when things go good. Things started going good, they forgot God, and the Midianites began to oppress them and devour them. The Midianites discovered this secret weapon called the camel. And what it allowed them to do was to travel long distances. So they would travel by camel in. They would raid some villages. They would devour these villages the way a teenage boy devours the pantry. And they would eat. They would take everything, and then they would run back home to safety. So here's Gideon. What is he? He's afraid. Now it says an angel of the Lord shows up. Now, a little teaching moment. A lot of times what happens in the Bible, when we see an angel of the Lord show up, this is before Jesus' physical birth. We look at that as what's called a theophany, or excuse me, a Christophany, meaning an appearance of Christ before he was born at Christmas time. And so what we believe is this, this would be Jesus showing up, and he sat under this tree which belonged to Joash, and there was Gideon beating out wheat in the wine press. Okay, let me explain to you what this means because some of you don't have any idea because we don't beat wheat out, and we kind of buy sunbeam for uh, peanut butter and jelly. So, so in order to, to thresh out wheat, what would happen in that culture is they would go out on a high place where the wind was blowing, and they would have animals to walk over the wheat so that it would separate the wheat kernel from what's called the chaff. Think of it like a peanut at a baseball game, right? Like you, take the, you eat the peanut out. Some of you eat the shells because you're weird. But you take the shells out and throw them away. So it would separate it out, and then you would take... All, all that's been ground up and you'd throw it up in the air and the wind would blow the chaff away or the husk away and what would come down is the wheat kernel and then you would use that for whatever cooking needs that you have. Notice it says that Gideon is doing that. Gideon is doing the work of an animal. Not a lot of dignity and honor in that, is there? Not only is he doing the work that an animal is supposed to do, he's in the wine press. Now you're supposed to be out, remember, out in the open, out on a high place, out where everybody could see you. But because the Midianites have been raiding, he's afraid. So Gideon is hiding in a wine press. Imagine what he thought of himself in this moment. I've got no value. Nobody's looking out for me. All I can do is eke out a living just to earn enough, just to make enough so that I can eat. And he was overly critical of himself. And he had no value. See, some of you look at yourself that way. You know, I can, uh, I've had, 
I've had, I have four kids and one's married, so we have five kids technically. And, you know, as they become teenagers, you have some parenting challenges. How many of you have been, have been a parent or are parenting teenagers right now? Okay, cool. So you understand a little bit of sometimes the angst. How many of you have ever been a teenager? You remember how dumb you were? <laughs> right? So, take it. so I can remember my oldest. Now, my oldest is awesome. Okay, she's awesome. She lives in Tampa. She's a, teach, a special needs teacher. She, um, you know, spent last summer in Uganda on a mission trip. She spends her summers helping uh, mentally and physically disabled people. Uh, she volunteers at her church. I mean, she's got a smile at lights. And we're like, she's awesome. But as she turned 13, you know, there's those typical, hey, we've got to have some communication conversations about how this is going. And so we're having this conversation with her, and we had it with all of our kids. Um, and so as we're having this conversation, she explained it this way, and it was brilliant. That on one side, here's the good things that I do. I make good grades. I volunteer at church. I've been, you know, on some mission trips. There's, like, there's good things that I do. Now, on the other side, there's some things that aren't so good. Like, sometimes I don't clean up my room when you tell me. Sometimes I got a little bit of attitude. Sometimes some things happen, and I do some things I know you don't want me to do. He says, and you look at the good things out of the good eye and the bad things out of the bad eye. And it seems like... No matter what I do, you are always looking at me through the bad eye. Criticism. And if I'm honest, she was right. And here's what we do to ourselves. We look at ourselves through the bad eye. And this is what Gideon is doing. He's hiding, afraid, immobilized, paralyzed, because he's looking at himself through what he doesn't have, through eyes of criticism. Like, where do you feel fear and immobilization? Where do you feel paralyzed? What are you afraid of? Maybe you're looking at your future and you're, you're afraid of your future. Not sure how it's gonna turn out. Maybe you, got, maybe, you got a, maybe you had a health crisis. and You're not sure how your health's gonna play out over the next few years and you've kind of played all the what-if scenarios to their worst possible conclusion. You're living out of fear and you can't make a decision or move forward. You know, maybe in your marriage, you're living out of fear. Like, it's okay, but you know there's some issues you should bring up, but you don't really want to rock the boat because it seems good enough, and maybe these things will work themselves out because if you bring them up, you have this potential of something bad happens, so you live out, of, live out of fear. Maybe it's your job. You know, you hate your job. You can't stand your job. Like, come on. Like, what? I just wish I had a new job, and then, but you don't want to change out of fear because what you have in your hand is better than what you, you don't have. And so you're living out of fear just like Gideon. So, so God shows up to Gideon. Watch what happens in these next verses. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared and said, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Does that feel like he's living right now? Like if I'm Gideon, I'm like, what are you talking about, Willis? Like mighty man of valor? What are we talking about? And Gideon said, Lord, if, if God is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonderful deeds? Like, didn't, didn't the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Like, if, if, if God's with us, why is it that everything is so bad? And I love the fact that he got a new name. Like, would you have loved to be called that by the angel of the Lord? Guys, come on, right? Mighty man of valor. You're going to start calling people that in the parking lot. Hey, mighty man of valor, you're awesome. But notice what happens before that. This is what's key. This is what's critical to the whole day, the whole teaching, the whole passage, the whole victory, the whole purpose. The Lord is with you. This is crucial. You can't separate God being with you 
from these positive words, this value that you have. The reason you have potential is because of God's promises for your life. This is why. So let's unpack that a minute. The Lord is with you. God showed up. Like, if, if, if you look at the life of Gideon, he has done nothing worth showing up for. He's done nothing worth showing up. He's hiding. He's afraid. He's nobody. It doesn't seem like we're going to find out even some more facts later. It doesn't seem like he uh, really has anything to author, but God shows up. And this is the story of the gospel, that God shows up for us. Listen, God shows up for us. Like, do you know how important it is to show up for somebody? Like, when you think about people that are awesome, there are people that have showed up for you at some event. Like, you can probably remember people maybe that, that showed up at a game, a sporting event for you. You're like, man, they came and watched me, even though I rode the bench. And you just think how awesome they are. You know, some of you are small group leaders in some of our now generation environments. And you go to ball games, you show up for award ceremonies, and you show up. And while you don't even, you, you can stand up and clap, the fact that you showed up is powerful. Now imagine that multiplied, that God shows up and he can do something about it. You know, some people would say this, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God, right? Some people would say the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. But when you think about God, you need to think that God is close and not far. That God's not out in the open somewhere. Maybe he's going to watch us. He's floating around some power, the force out somewhere, nebulous, impersonal. But God is close. Like, this is the message of the gospel. We're not called to just get through life, figure it out, and hope it all turns out well in the end. Like, God comes along to help us to be with us. Hey, this is the story of Jesus. Like, you remember the Christmas story? This is the Christmas story. He's close. He came to be with us as he moved into the neighborhood. I mean, God is close enough to wipe your tears. I mean, God is close enough to help you catch your breath. And God is close enough to help pick you up when you feel like you can't go on. He's close enough to bring peace when you feel like the world's caving in around you. This is how close God is. We have to believe that God is close so God shows up. He doesn't want us to just think about it. He wants us to know it. So God shows up. Jesus showed up for us. And that's, that's all that we need to know, that God stepped into our lives. God is close. And then and then notice, notice this. He gives them this, this title, O Mighty Man of Valor. O Mighty Man of Valor. He speaks some words of, he speaks some words of value into the life of Gideon. Now, 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 here's what God is going after right now with Gideon. He, he's trying to show Gideon that he is somebody important. He's trying to give him value before he shows him what to do. You know, most of us, if we're honest, like, God, hey, just give me the blueprint. If want just God to give you the blueprint and tell me step one, tell me step two, tell me where the walls go, tell me where the foundation is going to be laid, tell me what color the carpet's going to be. Like, like, just give me the blueprint. And here's why God doesn't do that. Because God knows that as you're navigating life, there's going to be some situations that you're going to need to know how to handle. There's going to be some, some times when you're going to need to know with confidence that God's with you. You're going to have to, some decisions to make. You're going to have some steps you're going to need to navigate. And if you don't know who you are with confidence, you're going to melt like butter. But if you know who you are, if you know that God is with you, and you know you have this sense of value, you'll be able to stand tall under tribulation. Man, you'll be able to, you'll be able to, you'll be able to help navigate 
circumstances that other people would find daunting at best, you'll be able to handle it. Like, how important is it that we hear positive words? If you heard the rule of seven, the rule of seven says that it takes seven good comments to overcome one negative comment. Like, have you ever had somebody say, you're wearing that to work today? Like, it just ruined your day, didn't it? Because nobody was there to give you seven compliments, right? The rule of seven, because we tend to under, we tend to lean into the negative words that are told to us. So God just gives them some positive words. It remind, I'm going to give you two different stories about this. So it reminds me a little bit of the movie The Help. Anybody, you seen The Help? Everybody seen The Help? You watch The Help? Watch it tonight. It's an incredible movie. It's a movie set back in the 60s, 50s, 60s in Jackson, Mississippi. It's about the racism that um, was there at that time. And it specifically centers on the role of maids that were called The Help in the movie. And one was Abilene. Remember Abilene? She's the main character. And what would Abilene do every single day? She would go and she'd help take care of this family. And she had this little girl called Baby Girl. They never gave her a name. I don't know why. But they, uh, she would say, Baby Girl, she says what? You are kind, you is smart, and you is important. And then after that, when Abilene gets fired and is leaving for the last time, she's telling Baby Girl that she's going to be going. And she says, Remember what I told you. And what does Baby Girl say? You is kind, you is smart. It was important. Those words of life, words of value that were imprinted in her soul. This is what, this is what she had. It, it contrasts that with the story yesterday from our um, FMX conference we had for our Now Generation leaders. We had a counselor come in who was a counselor one of our elementary schools. And she had a five-year-old come into her office. And she says, do you know why you're here? And he said, yes, because I'm a bad boy. Does that break your heart? What, what's he going to live into? Like, what, what's his future look like with that belief about himself? It's really important what we believe about ourselves. You can remember some names you've been called. You can remember some good ones and some bad ones. We were all taught sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That's the biggest lie in elementary school, isn't it? We know that. I've got some scars on my body from falling down and hurting myself that have healed. I've got some scars on my soul that I still remember what people called me or said to me or didn't. God gives him this value, this mighty man of valor, and it changes Gideon. You know, in second, uh, you know, one of the things I like to say is, rather than drawing the blueprint for your life, God stamps his handprint on your heart. Right? We want the blueprint. Tell me what to do. Tell me what job to take. Tell me who to marry. Tell me where I'm going to be living. Tell me how to plan for my retirement. That's what we want. But what God does is he gives us his handprint on our heart so that we can handle every situation that comes our way. Listen, when you have God's handprint on your heart, you are new. You're different. All the negative voices that you continue to remind yourself about, it doesn't mean that your mistakes and failures didn't happen, but it means they don't define you. It means that they are not the truest thing about you. What's the truest thing about you? God's handprint is on your heart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes about this. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Guess what's past? Old. Like, don't we love new? Old is gone. New has come. Everything becomes new. So here's what happens. You begin to see the world differently. 
in a new way. So the old way that you would see people is you would criticize them. You would look, them, look at them as competition. Sometimes you would look at them as defective or deficient. But when the new comes, guess what happens? You see people differently. You see people with value, people who God came and died for, people who God wants to elevate to give influence. You not only see other people that way, you see you that way. You see your money differently. You know, when the old way is that I just need to hang on to myself, man, I just need to get what I can while I can. I need to build my own treasure houses, my own stores so that I can take care of myself. But when, when you're changed, when you're new, when you understand the work of God in your life, when you're new, guess what? You don't look as money as something to be hoarded, but something to be to use to help people. Like I get to give it away. I get to be generous. I get to help others with the stuff that I'm given. Like before, when you're old, but the old way is you look at your time is limited. It's something that I can't get back. And if you steal my money, you steal my wallet, you steal my, wallet, you steal my money. But if you steal my time, you steal my life. So I better hang on to it. I'm not going to do anything that I don't want to do that's not good for me, that's not on my agenda. But listen, when you become new, guess what? You begin to give up your time. You begin to volunteer. You begin to help your neighbor. You begin to do things that has no direct benefit to you whatsoever. Why? Because you're new. And you recognize the work that God has done in your life. Gideon understands this because he's gotten, he's gotten value from God. God's spoken some words of life in him. And that's what God wants to do for you. I mean, God wants you to understand that you are valuable. You are loved. Guess what? You are adopted as, into the family. You have value beyond what you can calculate with your calculator. And then he goes on the story. He says, so the Lord said, go in this might of yours. Because Gideon's been like, where's God? Like, what are we doing? Like, a mighty man of who? He says, go in this might of yours. What, what might is that? I'm hiding here in a wine press. I'm threshing wheat. I'm throwing out peanut husks. Like, what is my might? Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Didn't I send you? And he said, Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan or my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. In other words, my family, man, we, we, I was not born a fortunate son, is what he's saying. And not only that, my family is low. I am the lowest of the low in my family. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you. And you will strike the Midianites as one man. So in this moment, what we see is that he is defined by God. This is the might that he has. You know, we live in a, in a culture of self-development. How many of you listen to a self-development podcast this week? Y'all need some help. <laughs> a leadership book, the self-development industry, $10 billion. $10 billion. And certainly, we all lean into that. We read books, we listen to podcasts, radio shows. We, you know, we come to church, right, in order for our lives, hopefully, to be better. It's one of the reasons we come. So we're in a self-development. We want to understand more about ourselves so that we can be better. You know the number one uh, the biggest increasing profession right now is counseling because people are going to counseling. Hey, tell me about myself. Help me to get rid of these things that are holding me back. Help me to understand more about myself. Help me to move past some of these hangups that I have. We, 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 go, we go to counseling. We learn about our, our personality types. I can tell you all of them, right? I'm an ENTJ. I'm a three on the Enneagram. I'm a D on the disc profile. I'm a pioneer when it comes to the five voices and you probably know some of yours. Guess what Gideon didn't do? When God said, you're going to go and save Israel, he didn't be like, God, I'm an INFP. I cannot lead a nation into battle. <laughs> God, he defined himself by God. 
This is how, this is how he saw himself, that God was with him. God was going to do the work. God was the one in charge. God was the one who was going to come through. This is how Gideon began to define himself. Listen, some of us, we define ourselves in the wrong ways. And it's, it's not even that they're bad. They're just wrong. Like if you begin to define yourself as a spouse, a husband or a wife, like you're setting yourself up for failure. If that's your primary identity. Because eventually there's going to be those days when maybe you have conflict. There's going to be a day when maybe your spouse does pass away. There's going to be a time when you're not married. There's going to be a time when you need something deeper than the fact that you're a husband or a wife and you're not going to have it because that's how you've defined yourself. Like if you define yourself as a parent, you're going to struggle. If that's your primary identity, certainly it's part of who you are. It's not the foundation of who you are. Because guess what? If you're a parent, one day those kids are moving out. Thank God. They're moving out. Some of you right now are empty nesters. Your kid just went to school or just moved out of the house to get a job, and you're, you're like, what do I do with my life? As if it would be over. You can't define yourself with, with, with your title at work. You can't define yourself with your bank account, the neighborhood you live in. Gideon defined himself by God's work in his life. The might that he had tied to mighty man of valor this was the strength he had, was that he defined himself completely and totally by God. And notice this, he took responsibility for it. You know, sometimes we, have you ever heard this cliche, let go and let God? Like that's, that's right behind sticks and stones will break my bones, right? Like that's the most crazy thing ever. Watch, watch Gideon, he says, I'm sending you. You're the one that's going to fight this battle. You're the one that's going to what? Save my people Israel. We have to take responsibility we ha- it's a battle to not listen to the negative playing, uh, voices playing in our mind. You notice that? Like when those things come to remind you of your past and they come to tell you of you're a failure, then you have no value. It's a battle to not listen to those, but to hold on that God is the one who's going to define me. It's a, it is a battle. We have to take responsibility. Listen, if you don't take responsibility for your life, God has nothing to work with. If you don't take responsibility for believing the things he said about you, he, he's got no grounds to go on. Listen, he's still showing up. He's still there, but he's waiting for you to take the next step. A friend of mine says it this way. He says, pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on you. And sometimes it means to wait, but sometimes it means to go. And sometimes I just wonder if the reason why we're not experiencing our potential or our purpose or value is because we're not moving. We're just sitting in the wine press, hiding out of fear. And then the last thing that we see out of this particular part of this passage is that it's for other people. Go at the might of yours to do what? Save Israel, to lead my people into freedom, to help somebody else. If your life is all about you right now, everything that you do leads, terminates, begins and ends on you, it's empty. You feel, you feel frustrated. You wonder why you have an anger management problem. You wonder why there's level of anxiety. You wonder why you keep thinking that there's more out there, why you're not ever satisfied. It's because you're way too small for your life to be about you. Your life has to be about something bigger. It has to be about God's purposes in life. And so we're gonna see two steps that Gideon takes, just some simple, small steps. You know, sometimes the small things are the big things in life. Like, where do you start when it comes to potential? He didn't just throw Gideon into leading 300 men into battle. That's not where Gideon starts. Gideon starts in verse 24. It says, Gideon built an altar to the Lord, and he called it, the Lord is peace. Right? Gideon built an altar there, and he worshiped God. So here's the first step. For you to understand your purpose and potential to know that you're awesome, 
is to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Listen, this is where you'll find your purpose. Man, we fix our eyes on so much stuff. If you could just, if you could just, if you could just play a video right now of your life and where your eyes have been focused all week, we, we'd probably all be a little ashamed, wouldn't we? Think about where your eyes have been fixed. You're fixed on watching your retirement account bill. Fixed on the news and what's the latest conflict or crisis. They're fixed on the trade war with China or the inverted yield curve or what's the stock market doing. They're fixed on divorce papers or they're fixed on my kids' bad behavior. This is what we fix our eyes on and we wonder why we're a wreck. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is why we worship on Sundays. It's why we sing. Because it, it, it didn't just fix our eyes on Jesus, it fixes our heart. Right? It helps, us, it helps that handprint to just sink a little deeper into who we are, into our soul, into our heart, so we'll know we are. Listen, fix your eyes on Jesus. The reason why you may be, not be feeling a sense of value today is your eyes aren't fixed on the one who can give you value. Listen, your bank account can't do that. We figured that out. Like your house can't do that. That, that monument sign at the front of your neighborhood can't do that. That label on the back of your car can't do that. The person sitting next to you can't do that, quite frankly. Jesus can do that. Fix your eyes on, and then ruthlessly remove everything else. Watch what happens in 625. It says, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull. Now, again, that seems a little strange to us. Let's be honest. Now, what's happening here is that bulls were used to sacrifice. Bulls were used to worship in that culture. So um, thank God we don't have to do that. Take your father's bull and another bull that's seven years old. That all has to do with their religion. And he says, pull down the altar of Baal. And then cut down the Asherah. Baal and Asherah, they were altars to another god. They were idols. They were places where they'd started to worship to try to fix their problem. And he says, hey, you got to remove those. If you're going to fix your eyes on me, if I'm going to be first, you have to remove the idols that you're worshiping. And idols come in a lot of different forms, Stone Creek. Sometimes idols come in the form of things I'll, I'll never do. I can't, I can't do that because I'm comfortable right here. And we begin to live in our comfort zone. Listen, you will never be the best version of you inside your comfort zone. You'll never be the best version of you inside your comfort zone. As long as your goal in life is to be comfortable, you're going to be bored. And when you're bored, at least to destruction, you have no value when you're bored. Like, what is it you're comfortable with? Is it your income right now? You're like, I couldn't go out and start a ministry. I couldn't move to help multiply a church because I make too much money. I make too much money. I, I could never, I could never. And then you fill in the blank because there's a, a reason. It, maybe, maybe that's an idol for you. Another idol for us is certainty. I'll do that when. Like, if I'm getting, I'm like, I'll do that when I have an army. I'll do that when I have some camels. Like, I'll do that when I have some weapons. Gideon just moves even through his fear. He doesn't wait for certainty. He just lives on faith. Listen, the opposite, the opposite of fear is courage, is faith. It's believing God. Don't, don't let certainty or comfort or control be the idol you hold on to. Because what you're going to end up missing is God's purpose for your life. And you're going to settle into an old age and think, what if? What if? Where was I? What, what would you be waiting for today? 
reminds me of a story from the Civil War when Lincoln was gathering troops and he appoints General McClellan to lead the army. And McClellan was notorious for doing nothing. They would train and he'd want more reinforcements. He'd want more money. And eventually Lincoln says, General McClellan, would you, would you mind letting me borrow your army since you're not doing anything with it? <laughs> and I wonder if God sometimes is just waiting on us. Like, hey, I, I've got a future for you. I've got a purpose for you. I've got value for you. I've got the life that you've always been looking for. But you're going to have to let yourself be defined by me. You're going to have to fix your eyes on me. Let's pray together. God, we're just uh, grateful that you would give us the dignity of value, that beyond anything else you've created, the earth, the, the universe, animals, plants, everything, God, you have created humans with unique value because we relate to you, we can know you. you. You sent your son to die for us as humans. God, that you help us to move past our mistakes and our failures. God, those voices in our brains that continue to remind us of what the reasons why we shouldn't do things, God, that you breathe life into those. And God, for us today, that where we're living in fear, God, or immobilized, or just really settled into comfort in our comfort zones, or just wanting more certainty about our future, that God, you just breathe faith into our lives today. And God, that we be a people that understands how much you love us and why that matters. That when we understand how much you love us, it helps us move into our future with action, with influence to help other people. God, that we've been placed here for others' lives to be better, that other people would look at us and say, you are awesome, that other people would tell stories about how we help them, how we encourage them, how we breathe life into them. And God, we'd be that kind of people. And Lord, we don't wanna be prideful. We just wanna walk in humility, believing that if we humble ourselves under your hand, you'll exalt us at the proper time. God, we just know that Jesus is the ultimate awesome, that God, he came for us, that he is awesome, perfect and powerful, and he wants to be close. And we just pray these things in his name. Amen.